Welcome to the pilot episode of the Carboline Tech Service Podcast. I'm Jack Walker. I'm a senior technical service engineer at Carboline. Been in the paint industry for about 15 years, 10 years at Carboline. I'm a NACE Level 3. And joining me today is the Director of Technical Service, Mr. Paula Jamis. How you doing, Jack? All right. Thanks for having me here with you. I've been in the industry for 20 years. I got seven years here at Carboline. Some of my background, I was a formulator. I was in sales. I was a manager for sales team, store manager. And now I'm here in technical service with Carboline. So basically, you've done everything under the sun in the paint world. I, you know, I keep trying to. We'll have to find a mop or something for you to push around <laughs> just so you can get the whole, the whole, the whole deal. I've cleaned it up. <laughs> so uh, if you're listening to this podcast at this point, you're probably thinking, why does this exist? Well, basically, what we're trying to do is to create an easy format for our sales team, our customers, our staff to be able to get accurate information. So basically, we're trying to get a format for the -the on-the-go lifestyle of our sales team and field service and actually our customers as well. We figure you can dial in, subscribe to the podcast, and get information that you wouldn't get in any other way. So Jack and I were sitting around talking about what we wanted to be able to communicate to our team, to our coworkers, to our customers. And we came up with several ideas that we figured would be a good encompassing overview of what goes on in our world. So we're going to start off with a, a product spotlight in every episode, an insider interview where we talk to somebody within the industry, and then we're going to have an ask a tech service engineer question, basically where we take a question from the outside and try to answer it in the best way that we can possible. We'll address issues that we see regularly in our department. So when you have those questions, go ahead and send them in to technical service at carboline.com. Put in the subject line podcast and we'll know which questions we should be looking for for our next episode. As this is a podcast for you, we do want to hear from you. Hopefully you guys are listening and now we can provide content based on what you guys need and want. And now we're going to move on to the product spotlight. The first product we're going to talk about today is Carbomastic 94. This is a fantastic polyamide epoxy. It has corrosion inhibitors. It actually has zinc phosphate in it. Not something that's usually talked about with this product. It's uh, about 120 grams per liter VOCs in the standard format, and the uh, made-for-California version is at 95 grams per liter. There's a slight product cost difference between the two, and uh, they should be considered the same in the dry film. One of the things to think about is this is a mastic epoxy. So when we're talking about these, we think adhesion. The adhesion on this is fantastic. We've done some testing. We've got some SP1 clean stainless steel. Carbomastic 94 got over 900 PSI adhesion strength. When you think about that, we typically use Rustbond as our main surface tolerant coating, but actually in the same test uh, parameters, the Rustbond actually got almost 300 PSI less on that same solvent cleaned stainless steel. This type of property was carried through in several other tests that we did with Carbomastic 94. It repeatedly performed in the same category of adhesion with Rustbond and some of our other more commonly understood high adhesion primers. One of the things we also did is we did a recoat study where we took Carbomastic 94 and we exposed it to several different exposures. So we uh, did a lab ambient cure, a outside Missouri weathering cure, and we also put it in an oven for 150 degrees. And what we did is we applied the first coat of Carbomastic 94, exposed it to any of those 
three different environments at different time intervals. So basically anywhere from one day all the way up to 40 days uh, were spent curing at those environmentals and then a second coat of Carbomastic 94 was applied. So you really think 40 days in a 140 degree oven and a second coat stuck to it? It actually did. So not only do we uh, look at it immediately after that, but what we did is we allowed that second coat to cure for one week and then we immersed these panels in synthetic seawater. Wait, wait, wait. We don't talk about Carbomastic 94 being an immersion grade epoxy. We put this in immersion? We did. And how'd that look? So after 90 days, the second coat still had great adhesion to the first coat of Carbomastic 94. We looked at it at several intervals, 30, 60, 90 days. We didn't test it any further than that, so it could potentially go much longer than that. But basically after 90 days, we felt that we had great adhesion in between the two coats of Carbomastic 94. That sounds like an awesome product. We should be using this for more. Do we use this in any other part of the industry? The main thing that we've used this product for is as a top coat for fireproofing. We use it as a top coat over several of our intermescent products. Well, that's because it's got that class A fire rating. Yep. There's also a case study in Carbolink that if you go to the Carbomastic 94 product page where a barge was painted with Carbomastic 94. This was back in 2006. We painted a barge for Trinity Marine. That barge spent years going up and down the rivers. One day in 2010, they ran it into some sort of a piling that was in the river. They destroyed the side of the barge. It's dented, it's bent, it's bowed. All of the sides are caved in. When you start to look at it though, we went inside, we did an investigation, we looked at the pictures, and as you go through the whole thing, in all of these bent and bowed in areas, the Carbomastic 94 is still sticking to the steel of the barge. In fact, the only place that the Carbomastic 94 really disbonded from the surface was actually uh, when it was top coating zinc. So the, the Carbomastic 94 actually didn't despond from the surface. The zinc underneath the Carbomastic 94 actually split. So the Carbomastic 94 was still tightly adhered to that zinc, but the damage was so strong that the zinc coating itself actually split. This is probably due mostly to the flexibility that is in the Carbomastic 94. When we tested it for flexibility, we, we noticed that it actually had 28% elongation. When now, you compare that to CarboGuard 163, that, that exhibits a 22% elongation in the same test. So we all know that we consider CarboGuard 163 an extremely flexible coating, so it seems that Carbomastic 94 might actually be more flexible. What a great finding. It's also pretty abrasion resistant. It's not extremely abrasion resistant like our Plasite 4110. However, it did exhibit an 86 milligram loss after a thousand cycles for the Tabor abrasion test. Just as a point of comparison, CarboGuard 890 receives 85 milligrams of loss for that same test. As we mentioned earlier, it's a great corrosion inhibitor. It has the zinc phosphate in it. It actually has the most zinc phosphate of any of our Carboline epoxies. So we took Carbomastic 94 and we, we did two systems with it. We top-coated it with two mils of polyurethane and then another system we top-coated it with about seven mils of epoxy and we put it through several um, corrosion-type tests. As I look through this test report, there's pages of things that we top-coated it with and exposures that we ran it through. So just to shorten that down, we'll give you a little summary here. They were all great. After a thousand hours of salt fog with both the polyurethane and the epoxy, the Carbomastic 94 was perfect. We ran the same test for 2,000 hours in the humidity chamber, and after 2,000 hours, there were still no defects. 
but wait, there's more. We put it in an environmental test, and in this environmental test, we did 50 cycles. Each cycle consisted of 10 hours of QUV exposure. Then, after we had the 10 hours of QUV exposure, we put it in a 140-degree immersion in tap water for another 10 hours. We repeated this cycle for 50 times until we had about 1,000 hours of total testing. Once again, the Carbomastic 94 looked great. So is that all that we do with Carbomastic 94? Are there any additives or anything that go in with this product? Well, just recently, as of um, yesterday, we decided that we're going to put an MIO additive feature with the Carbomastic 94. So you're saying, just like 893SG, we have an MIO additive that we can add to this polyamide-based epoxy. Exactly. And very lastly, one of the things, you know, when we talk about surface tolerance and we're looking at rust bond as our comparative for this product, Carbomastic 94 has a four-hour pot life. That's quite considerably more than rust bond is. Correct. At the same temperature, rust bond has a 70-minute pot life. That's fantastic. And now that we know Carbomastic 94's full potential, let's check in with our insider with our insider interview. Today on the Insider Interview, we're joined by William Sewell. William Sewell is a tech service engineer here at Carboline. Uh, he is our new addition to the group. He previously, before that, was an analytical chemist working out of our testing laboratory. In that role, Bill basically did all of the failure analysis for Carboline. Welcome, Bill. How's it going, Jack? All right. So today we wanted to talk about job side sampling and sending in your paint chips for failure analysis. So um, what would you say would be the most important thing to first consider when, when you're collecting samples from a job site? When you're out on a job site, a lot of the times when something's going wrong, people panic. Calm down. Think what the problem is and think what sample should I get that's going to show these guys what the problem really is. Because I think a lot of people overthink it. And just calm down. Think about where the problem area is and how big of a paint chip you need to cut out to show me that. Cut that out and send it to me. Okay. So, for example, um, if it's an, an adhesion problem, you definitely want to collect something from that area of delamination. Yes. At the interface, specifically. Correct. Right. Yeah. And if it's possible, you want to get a sample of where it is tightly adhered as well, too. That would be helpful, wouldn't it? That's even better because then we can compare and contrast. You know, every job site's a little bit different, as you well know. Uh, it's just nice to have a baseline to work from and say, this gun produces paint that looks about like this, and then it went wrong. So, yeah, that's great. That's, that's, if you can include that, very helpful. Is there a good size to send in? Is there something that's too small or too big? Or, you know, what, what is the most beneficial for the analytical lab when they're taking analysis of these samples? I should be careful when I say this. I say there's no sample size too big. Sure enough, I'll probably get in a 20-foot long uh, stripe of paint after I say this. So now that we've talked about the proper way to take a sample and send it in, um, surely you have some sort of uh, great horror stories about um, improperly shipped in uh, samples. To Man, uh, you told me this interview would be three minutes. Uh, that would take at least four hours to give you just the good ones. Well, just give me the best okay, one. Okay, yeah. Many times people have shipped bags just full of paint chips, just covered in some nasty stuff. We've gotten stuff from uh, what's called a fog tank. That's fats, oils, and greases. That is every bit as bad as it sounds. If you send me that and you do not let me know 
you will be receiving a call from me and you will not like it. Be considerate when you send the samples and just kind of think about it. Uh, include an SDS if you can. So I, I do know for myself, uh, I got a sample one time from the, the wrong side of a wastewater tank. That and, happens, um, yep, yep. The sales rep was kind enough to put it in an envelope with a, just a little piece of tape um, at where the middle of the envelope sealed, and it, it, he didn't even cover up the whole uh, envelope. So basically, when I got these samples and I opened them up at corporate headquarters, what I got it was a nice little uh, poof of poo-poo dust all over my desk. Um, I was less than pleased that day, and I... And I'm sure uh, we don't want that to happen. Did you again. mail it back to him? I should have. Well, thanks, Bill. Uh, good talking to you, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. And now it's time for our Ask a Tech Service Engineer feature. We got this question in. In reviewing the testing data, some manufacturers indicate an ASTM D4541 results, while others show an ASTM D3359 results. Is it possible to compare one against the other? For example, does 1037 PSI provide better adhesion than a 4A? The short answer to that, Jack, is no. You really need to be considering the individual test methods themselves and the variations of them. For example, with ASTM D4541, just the number of 1037 PSI actually doesn't give you all the information you need to know about good adhesion. The way the ASTM D4541 works is that you glue a dolly onto the surface of the coating. That dolly is then pulled off with your choice of instruments. Then that dolly is evaluated for where the adhesion broke down. Did it break down within the glue? Did it break down cohesively within the coating? Or did the coating pull off the substrate? This factor, along with the PSI, is what is needed to evaluate the true adhesion of the coating. It is important to consider also that the pneumatic instruments pull much higher PSI values than their similar manual alchometer type gauges. When we're looking at ASTM D3359, again, there's two different standards you can look at within that standard. There's a method A and a method B. Method A is the X cut that everybody's familiar with in the field. You take a sharp knife, you cut an X in it, you put a piece of tape on it, press it down, and you pull it off quickly, and you look to see how much paint's left. Based on how much paint's removed from each side of the scribe tells you what your rating is, whether it's a 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5, 5 being the best. When you look at method B, that's the crosshatch. That looks like the whole bunch of little tic-tac-toe boards that they do usually in the shop. Labs will sometimes do it, and it's usually for thinner film coatings. That's a tool that usually puts all of the stripes in in each direction at one time. Again, you put tape on it, you press it down, you pull it off, and you evaluate how much coating was removed from in between each of those little squares. Again, this one goes on a scale of zero to five, five being the best. So basically, each test will give you a result where you can deem the adhesion of the coating satisfactory or unsatisfactory, but they are not related to each other. Once again, thanks for joining us for the pilot episode of the Carboline Tech Service Podcast. We've hoped you enjoyed it. Don't forget to send any questions you may have to technicalservice at carboline.com. Don't forget to put podcast in the subject line of that email. Until the next time, we'll see you then. Thank you.